Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this week's message and what I think is an incredible series, Faith Righteousness, the Ultimate Revelation of God. And I call it the Ultimate Revelation of God because I'm telling you, uh, faith righteousness is the most important, most significant doctrine of the New Covenant. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that until we are able to grasp faith righteousness and experience it as a reality, we will never be mature as believers. In other words, we won't be stable. We won't be able to move into the deeper things of God. You know, so many people are crying out for the deep things of God, and we think that God is going to pour those things out from heaven uh, independent of, of us interacting with him, in, independent of, him, of us opening our heart up so that we can be taught by him. And that's just not the way that it's going to happen. I'll tell you, great revival comes, and I don't even like the word revival. You know, revival, to revive something means to bring it back to the life that it had. Uh, if you go back to what you had, then uh, you're going to be in trouble again, producing. I don't want to ever go back to what I had. I always want to move forward to something that I uh, haven't yet experienced. I might have it legally. It might be mine, but uh, I want to experience those things in Christ that I am not experiencing that have been freely given to me. And so, so faith righteousness, of course, like I say, it is the ultimate doctrine for actually growing and maturing in God and to our spiritual maturity. But also, faith righteousness doctrinally is one of those things that our capacity to see Jesus as he is, is directly and intimately related to our perception of faith righteousness. And, and this whole series goes into why and how this is going to help you see Jesus as he is, to see yourself as you are in him, and then ultimately from seeing Jesus as he is, we will see God as he is. And so I love this series. I have gotten so encouraged just from, uh, you know, preparing this information. By the way, you know, I never just prepare information to preach a series. Uh, preparing this information for me has been something that I have spent the last 50 years doing. I've been crying out to God to have a better grasp on faith righteousness almost since the beginning of my walk with God. One of the questions that many Christians cannot answer that uh, were probably asked. Nobody probably asked it directly, but but people do ask this question. And really, when people come to Jesus to get saved, if they hear the gospel, they really hear the biblical gospel. That this question will be answered pretty soon in their in their uh, beginning of faith uh, with God. But one of the questions that so many people cannot answer. I mean, they can sort of answer. And so much of my life, I couldn't answer, really answer this question. Uh, but it's, it's simply this. Why did Jesus have to die? Now, that, 
you know, that just seems so simple. And almost everybody was, well, well, he had to die so I could be saved. Well, that that's true, but that really doesn't answer the question. Why did he, why did he have to die so you could be saved, so I could be saved? And so we're going we're gonna to dive into this today as much as we can. We'll probably have to break this up into a few different messages. Now, remember, I've got an audio series that goes along with this video series. They are not duplicates one of another. Uh, they have similarities. They have places where they overlap. But I'm telling you, I want to invest in you in this incredibly powerful message. And um, for people who want to reteach this, people who are deeply committed to being a disciple, uh, that's why I create these audio messages. And remember, when you purchase an audio message, you can download it, and tonight you can be going through it while you're doing this video series, and you can be taking the deep dive. But first of all, when you purchase an audio message, you invest in yourself. And I'll tell you, it has a profound effect on you when you are willing to invest in yourself. But also, you're investing in the world because this is where we get a lot of our financial resources to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Operation One Billion, which is our program for raising up one billion disciples around the world, is uh, largely financed through uh, our world changers who make contributions, but also through the purchases that people make for these types of programs. So be sure and check it out. Download it and consider becoming a world changer and jumping in here and help, helping us change the way the world sees God. Now, one of the ways that I would have answered this question, why did Jesus have to die, uh, would have been, and I would have said it this way, and I wouldn't have been completely wrong, but I wouldn't have been actually completely right. Uh, there is a word in the New Testament that I tell you, I, I, I prayed, 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 read, studied, meditated, pondered on, because I just kept feeling like there was so much to it that we weren't getting because of language problems. It's the word propitiation. Now, the word propitiation is such a crucial, crucial word. And one of the reasons we don't really grasp the propitiation is because we are not taught to study the Old Testament sacrifices. Now, remember, everything that Jesus did for us in salvation is revealed in the Old Testament sacrifices. And, uh, uh, you know, there are things that, yes, that we know and that we, ex we obviously experience that, that no generation or no dispensation before us has ever, ever experienced. But the, but the truth is, if we want to understand what happened through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, we have to uh, dive into the Old Testament sacrifices and uh, discover what they reveal about Jesus and what he ultimately did. But, uh, but we have this idea that the Old Testament, I, you know, I have said this, I hate to admit it, but I said this back when I was a young preacher because this was what I was taught. But even when I would say it out loud, I didn't feel right about it. But, uh, you know, I would, uh, I would make this statement that, you know, that the old covenant was fear-based uh, and, and works-based. 
Well, that, that's absolutely not true. I thought it was true. I was taught that. It appears to be true if you take a casual look at it. But remember, it is even the Old Testament itself teaches us that the just, those who, have, who are being declared righteous, that they actually live by faith. Their righteousness is imputed to them because of their faith and what God says about them. And so, so then if it's, if it's faith-based, it can't be fear-based. Also, you know, we, we forget that everything in the Old Testament, we are taught to believe it in our heart. And so, again, that brings us back to the place that's faith-based because faith is the, the work uh, of our heart. And, uh, you know, we have been taught that it's even works-based. Well, it's not works-based. The Old Covenant itself tells us that by the works of the, of the law, nobody's ever going to be made righteous. So it's amazing what we believe about the Old Testament that it really doesn't say. Now, one of the things that I was taught very early on uh, about the propitiation, and that is that the propitiation is the satisfying of wrath. But every time I would say that, and that's not totally wrong, but it's not totally right. And I'll tell you, every time I would say that phrase, because I knew that based on what Jesus did, we were delivered from the wrath of God. And so it would seem plausible then to say, okay, then, then, then Jesus died to deliver me from the wrath of God. Well, that is one of the benefits of what happened as a result of, of Jesus dying. But that's not the real reason that Jesus had to die. But even further than that, we come to realize that uh, in paganism, in occult uh, paganism, um, the gods were not moved by love. And I say gods, I'm talking about little g's. The gods were not moved by love. They, they, were, they used fear, they used manipulation, they used wrath. And so uh, their worshipers of the false gods have always tried to appease those gods by making sacrifices, which was really nothing more than just paying them off. And so, so if they, they felt like if they made enough sacrifices, they would appease the wrath of the gods, and they, and they would not have the curses of the gods poured out on them. Well, you know, God said in the Old Testament that he's holy. Now, despite what we think holiness is, again, that's one of those, uh, that's one of those words that religion redefined for us. You know, the word holy uh, has to do with not, uh, actually not being common, with being unique. And God being holy, what he's saying is, I'm not common. I am not like any of the other gods. And even though, even though you may be uh, you know, bringing sacrifices, even though you may be uh, making offerings, even though you may be doing all the same things that other people do with their gods, you are doing it for a completely different reason. And so since, since I am different, you've got to be different. Since I operate from a different set of values, you've got to, op you've got to operate from these values. So you've got to learn what these values are, and you've got to operate from the same values uh, that I operate from. And so, so based on that, the idea that the reason Jesus had to die was, was just to appease wrath would really make him not holy, because that's 
exactly why sacrifices had to be given to the false gods of the Old Testament. You know, um, when Jesus was on the cross, really, really interesting thing happened. And this was this in John 19, 28 through 30. It talks about how that uh, how that, you know, Jesus became thirsty. And and so he, he cried out and said, I thirst. And so they put some uh, some vinegar uh, on a sponge. They lifted it up to him uh, so that he so that he could actually drink that. And it would be kind of something that would it was more probably more like a, a vinegar wine than it was just vinegar. And the point was so that it would uh, hasten his death or make him kind of lose control of his senses. But uh, but anyhow, so, so they do that. And so it says when, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And they bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. Now, I can remember early, early on, you know, here reading that scripture, hearing this preach and I'm telling you, this is one of those scriptures that just touches my heart so deeply. But one of the things that I was taught very early on is that he says, see, salvation is finished. Now, here's what I knew very early on, is that could not be the correct interpretation. You say, well, how did you know that as a new believer? Because as a new believer, I understood that no one was saved until after Jesus had been raised from the dead. So how could he say that salvation was complete if he had not yet paid the full price and been raised from the dead, conquering sin? And so, you know, it, it took decades really to fully understand uh, what all that, uh, that statement implied. In actuality, uh, this phrase here, it is finished, would probably have been more correctly translated or interpreted as the debt is paid. Now, remember, we, we talked about in this series, and if you're listening to the audio series of this, you're getting a lot, of these, lot more of these details. I'm covering them in the videos as much as I can. But remember, the gospel is the scriptural explanation of what happened on the cross. What did Jesus do? What did he accomplish on the cross? And then, then the scriptural explanation of what Jesus did in the grave. And then the scriptural explanation of what Jesus uh, accomplished through the resurrection. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4 goes through this, and, and in many, many places, Paul repeats that these three aspects uh, of, of the truth are uh, are the basis for the gospel. And if, and if someone hasn't heard and believed all three aspects, scriptural aspects, not just your denominational aspects, but scriptural aspects of what Jesus did based on the scripture, what was on the cross, what was in the grave, in the resurrection, then they haven't really heard the gospel. Now, I'm telling you, this is one of the reasons so many people's faith is so very limited. It's not that they don't get born again, is that is that if we have a limited understanding or knowledge of what Jesus accomplished, then we cannot believe it in our hearts fully. So, uh, one of the things that we that we know is this: in the Scripture, when a person owed money, when when they had a debt that they couldn't pay, they couldn't just bail out. 
Now, you, you talk about something that would immediately affect our economy. If we returned to the justice of the scriptures, they, now, now, there was a way for people to get out of paying their debts. There was a legitimate way to do it. It was called the year of Jubilee. People could have their debts forgiven. But if people borrowed money, they had to pay it back. And if they couldn't pay it back, they had to work it off. They had they actually had to become household servants until they had worked off their debt. So uh, let's say that uh, you owe money and you and your family become servants for a you know particular uh, person. Uh, let's say for five years. At the end of five years, that debt is paid, and so you actually get a writ stating the amount of the debt and that the debt itself is is completely paid and that you are now free. You and your family are now free from being a servant to the person that holds your debt. When Jesus was on the cross uh, and and really ultimately what he accomplished through his, not just what happened on the cross, but actually in, in the grave, uh, the debt was fully paid. He, God made him who knew no sin uh, that we might be made the righteousness of God. God, uh, Jesus became the curse of the law that we deserved uh, so that we would never have to become and experience that curse. And so, uh, so when Jesus says, says it's finished, basically what he says, the debt is paid. Now, we know that that debt was fully paid, and uh, we know that uh, the reconciliation, the exchange of paying the debt and, and us being set free was completed at the resurrection. But here, here is the point. Righteousness, which righteousness, and we've, listen, we've talked about this. If you haven't heard the other messages in this series, go back and listen to it because I can't recap, you know, I can't recap it all every time. But you have to understand, righteousness is where we understand the fundamental character traits of God, and we understand the absolutes of God. Well, one of the absolutes of righteousness is that all debts of sin absolutely have to be fully paid. Well, Jesus fully paid all those debts. And by suffering the consequences that we would have had to suffer so that we might be able to receive his righteousness. That's the reconciliation. That's the, that's the exchange. Jesus was the amount that God paid to pay off all of our debt. So in reality, the righteousness of God required that the debt be paid. And, uh, you know, when you go back and look at the Old Testament, uh, you know, you see this phrase in Ezekiel, for example, where it talks about the soul that sins shall die. So sin, the wages of sin is, always has been, and still is death. Now, fortunately, sin, our failures can't separate us from God, uh, but it can affect us in ways where in our hearts we separate from God. I'm not saying, I'm not talking about whether we do or don't lose our salvation. 
that's a that is a ridiculous argument for people to talk about and argue about either way. So I'm not even I'm not even going there. But the point the point is this: all sin brings some type of death, either emotional death, physical death, uh, a hardness of heart, uh, all of the things that would be an expression of separating from the quality of life that God has for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as a result of the debt being paid, then the wrath that we would have had to incur, the curse that we would have had to incur, the, the consequences that, that would have been what it would have cost us are all paid. And so we don't have to be afraid of God. We don't have to be afraid that God's going to hurt us. We don't have to be afraid that God is going to get even with us. We realize that Jesus paid the price for all past, present, and future sin. And, and the righteous requirements of the law, the law and the commandments that so many people are preaching against and so many people fight against, the law and the commandments are where this is based. The law requires that all debts be paid for, so the sin shall die. You know, I used to read these scriptures in the Old Testament where it talked about if a person does this in the nation of Israel, then they're cut off. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Whoa, what do you mean cut off? It's like, does that mean they die? What does that mean? They're cut off from the congregation. They're cut, and you're like, cut off from congregation, cut off from God, cut off from one another, cut off in their heart. What, what does it mean? And uh, you, you start realizing that it really doesn't matter fully and completely what it means. It just means that on some level, that person is experiencing death, emotional, relational, spiritual, uh, some kind, they're experiencing some aspect of death. So in, in Jesus, the debt is paid and we are absolutely delivered. Now, Galatians 3, um, 10 tells us, curse is everyone. Who who does not continue in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them? Now it's not saying that the, that the law is a curse. It's saying that based on God's definition of righteousness, it doesn't matter if you break a big commandment. Doesn't matter if you break a small commandment. If 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 you're wanting to understand God and His righteousness, and God never ne you know God never breaks a commandment. God God never does anything to you that violates any of his word, any of his commandments, because the commandments, eight out of 10 of the commandments were very specific about how to treat one another. And God is not a hypocrite. He lives by the same uh, morals, values, and ethics that he tells us to live by. So, so he, he tells us how he is holy. He shows all the ways that he's all about love. He's all about justice. He's all about truth and says, now, I want you to be about the same things that, that I'm about. But, but another thing, though, he warns is, but don't ever think that the law is going to make you righteous, because it's not. The law can tell you what righteousness is, and as such, when you violate it, you, you'll know you violate it, because, because, uh, because it explains to you what un unrighteousness is. And so, so don't ever think you can become righteous by obeying the law. You can't righteousness can only come, real righteousness can only come by this exchange where Jesus becomes your sin, where Jesus pays the full price for you, and you get your writ uh, that says the debt is absolutely, completely uh, satisfied. So 
So we have this thing that's called the propitiation. Now, the propitiation is, is how God actually satisfied uh, the where wrath was satisfied, where God satisfied the penalty or satisfied the debt of sin. But remember, the ultimate goal here was not just to deliver us from the curse. The goal was to deliver us from the curse so that we could experience the love of God, come into a relationship with God, but yet being delivered from the curse was a part of it. Now, many people have this really strange idea that God's forgiveness or God's mercy or God's compassion is kind of this concept that God is going to overlook our sin. No. If God overlooks our sin, then he has violated his righteousness, which means he is a sinner. He makes it clear that he cannot and will not overlook sin. Yet, he also makes it clear that uh, he created us to love, to have a relationship with him. He did not create us to punish. He did not create us to have to, you know, have to pay this, this debt. I mean, we're the one, the human race brought this into the world. God didn't. God didn't bring this into the world, but uh, uh, but it's got to be paid. So how did he pay it? Well, he paid it through this thing that's called the propitiation. Now we're going to go into the propitiation a little more in uh, in our next in our next message where we're going to be talking about uh, the mercy seat or the throne of mercy. But uh, I want you to understand the propitiation is what happens in the Old Testament sacrifice where on the Day of Atonement, this uh, the, uh, the two sacrifices were brought before the priest, and one of the sacrifices was is what is called the scapegoat. And I go into a lot on this in the audio series. The word scapegoat in the Hebrew is Azazel, and I tell you there's a lot of depth in understanding that name. But the scapegoat was the goat where the high priest, uh, modeling what God would do to Jesus on the cross, lays his hands on the scapegoat and confesses all the sins of Israel uh, over the scapegoat and imparts them to the goat. And then that goat is, is taken out into the wilderness to die the death that Israel, the whole nation of Israel, should have died because of his sins. Well, that's what Jesus did. He became our sin. He actually bore our sins, not just on the cross, but literally in his death, he went to Hades. He became the scapegoat. He was separated from God. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't just quoting scripture. He was facing the consequences of what, in fact, we would have to face if, if, he, if he had not done this for us. And so Jesus goes as the scapegoat, pays the ultimate price. But then the, the sacrificial lamb that was brought before God, where the lamb is sprinkled on the mercy seat, and we will go into this in the next session, is where the blood of Jesus purchases and pays the way and, uh, and makes us clean. It makes us holy. See, it's one thing for our sins to be to be uh, uh, taken away, but to wash us clean and make us able to approach God with no fear and no condemnation, no, no worrying about the past, no worrying about the sins. 
and actually draw near to God and having this deep, deep, deep connection with God. So I want you to understand the reason Jesus had to die is because God's righteousness required that our sin paid for, but he loved us so much that he didn't want us to pay for it. And I'm telling you, this will change everything you're going to know and believe about God. So be sure to hang in here with me next week. And listen, check it out. Become a world changer. It may help me reach a billion people and raise up disciples all over the world. And I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers Podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.